So uh, this is not uh, the set reading for this Sunday, I'm afraid, and I've chosen just one reading, which is why Ken read uh, the Gospel this morning, because I'm going to preach probably for a little bit longer, so I apologise for that, because we're going to reflect on uh, stewardship in the light of this uh, parable that we've heard this morning. And this parable of the lost son is the third of three parables that we started looking at last Sunday, when Olivia uh, preached on the two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And uh, the parables build uh, deliberately in intensity. It's a set of three parables that deliberately build in intensity, uh, given the numbers involved. So the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, uh, begins with one sheep, but it's of 99 other sheep as well. So it's one of 100. Moving then on to the 10 coins, with, uh, with one of those being lost. And then we arrive today with just two sons, And it comes into focus. One of them just comes into focus between the two. And the focus of two brothers in the story is supposed, uh, it's a literary effect, I think, to draw us into the story. To decide for ourselves which of the characters we are going to relate to. Will we, like the younger brother, realise our sinfulness and come back to the father? Or will we be like the older brother, refusing to celebrate the repentance and new life that he sees in his brother, instead resenting the other. And as we look, as I've said, look at this parable this Sunday, I'm going to be talking a little bit about stewardship. And that's what I mean by that. It's how we use the resources, the gifts, the finances that God has given to us uh, for his purposes. And hopefully give you some financial information uh, about the church, an update on some financial information. With some good news and some challenges along the way as well. But on to this story, first of all. One of the things I think this parable reminds us first and foremost, uh, particularly in the light of stewardship, is just what a generous, loving and forgiving God we have. But also, alongside that, how we as individual Christians, like the characters in the story, can be blind to God's generosity. You see, the father in this story is gracious at every step. He gives the younger son his share of the land, a request which would have been a huge insult to the father and an insult to the community. Effectively, this was a a request that wished his father dead. It would mean a reduction in the land that the family had to farm as it's cut in half and therefore a reduction in their family income. But more than that, it would have brought utter shame on the family. For a son to have asked his living father for his inheritance before he'd passed away would have brought intense shame on the family. The first son fails to recognise this and ignores it. And he fails to recognise the generosity of the father and instead wastes his money. But also the older son fails to recognise that all he shares, he shares that all that remains with the father. He doesn't recognise that he's got access to the rest of what remains with his home life with his father. Both sons, I think, are blind to the generosity of a loving father. And in our culture, I think, it's easy for us to lose sight of God's generosity as well. For us to see that all we have and all we earn is ours by right. We are self-reliant. We work hard for the money that we have. We've given a lifetime of service to our work, and all we have surely is ours. But this is a beautiful reminder, this story, I think, of how gracious and generous our God is, but also a reminder 
that all things come from our Heavenly Father. These two brothers end up in fields miles apart from one another. But it seemed to me as I reflected on this story that both of those places are places of enslavement. Both those fields are places of enslavement. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question why the younger son stays so long in the foreign land. What is it that keeps him there? He's had originally at the start of the story the audacity to ask his uh, father for his share of the inheritance. So why not now exercise the same audacity in returning home? You see, with the, there's a famine in the land that puts us in no doubt that it isn't wealth or material gain that keeps him in this foreign land, this foreign field. I guess in the end, we can conclude that this younger son has done some serious soul-searching, probably learnt some valuable lessons. And I think it's his own shame, his own self-loathing, and his own guilt that keep him in that foreign land, in that field. The question of what keeps him in a field of pigs longing to eat their food is a question for us as well when we fail to ask God for his forgiveness for the things that we do wrong. What keeps us in our own field, in a place where we can't feel or we feel like we can't make our way back to God? Maybe some shame, maybe some guilt, maybe some self-loathing. This story is a beautiful reminder that our loving Heavenly Father is always waiting for us to come home. So the younger son is enslaved by his own attitude towards himself. He feels that he's sunk so low that he's beyond help. And I'm sure there are times when we felt the same. There are certain aspects of our life, certain aspects of our character that seem beyond hope, beyond help and completely out of reach. These are the things, I think, that can hold us back in our Christian lives and prevent us from all that Christ wants us to be. Indeed, all that we were made to be in him. But there is a turning point in the story, isn't there? He comes to his senses and remembers the generosity of his father and decides to turn back home. Back onto the older brother, he's working out in his field when the younger, this younger brother returns home. And it's in this field that he has his own decision to make when he discovers that his brother has returned. Will he, like the father, welcome the younger son home and extend the hand of forgiveness? Or will he shun his brother? There's some irony in the story here that lies in the fact that the younger son, when he returns, requests to become a servant or a slave, but is accepted by the father as his son. While the, other, the older brother has always been in a position as the son, but he portrays himself as a slave, not realising he has access to all that remains in the household. This is how he sees himself, not as a free son of his father, but as a duty-bound slave. And I think the older brother is as much enslaved in his field and his own attitude as the younger brother was enslaved in his field, feeding the pigs. So one of the intriguing questions that I reached as I reflected on this story is which son is lost? It seems obvious to us that the younger one is the one who's lost as he goes against the rules, but he's also the one 
but returns home. He's the son who is found. And I think the older brother is no less lost than the younger brother. He just maybe hasn't realised it. He's been with the father all the time, but hasn't realised the benefits that come with that. He is lost, but in a familiar place. He has access to the same relationships and benefits that the younger son has returned to, but he has lost sight of them. Maybe we've been Christians for a long time. Maybe we've lost sight of the reason that we first saw and gave our life to God. Maybe something that's got in the way, life, tragedy. Maybe even that we're too busy in church to take time to remember what it is that first captivated us about the loving God. Whatever our response to the generosity of God is, whether we have forgotten it or never realised it was there in the first place, one thing we can be certain of is that God never changes. God is the same forgiving, gracious and generous Father. The same that he's always been. And all any of us need to do is to just simply return to him. To seek his forgiveness. And to bow our knee before him. And when we realise that all we have comes from God. That what we have is never really ours in the first place. It's easier to hold lightly to it. And reflect the generosity of God. In how we use the resources, the gifts, the skills and the finances that he's given to us. As a PCC and a church, my hope is that we can do this collectively. Acknowledge that all we have comes from God and be willing to use what he has given us in the service of his kingdom and trust that he will provide for all of our needs. That's the prayer that I pray every Sunday when uh, the gifts are taken up uh, at the altar, when we receive the bread and wine and we receive the financial gifts that you have given It's not a prayer that's often heard. It's often a prayer that I pray during the the singing of our hymn, our offertory hymn. My prayer is always that God would take the gifts that he's given to us, that we are offering back to him in the extension of his kingdom in this community. How do we work out this practically? Well, it's worked out on the ground in the things that we do as a church and where we spend our money. And so it's now just worth giving a little bit of time to that. A little bit of a financial update, if you like. By far and away, our biggest outgoing as a church is our parish share. The money that we pay uh, to the diocese for the upkeep of church, for ministry, uh, and all sorts of other things, which I'll explain in a moment. Our parish share supports ministry here in our parish. It provides for the stipend, or part of the stipend that I receive. Uh, The cost of this is shared between St John's Church here and St. Thomas's Church in Lancaster, where I also work part-time. Parish Share contributes to the cost of housing, so that vicars across our diocese can be present in their communities. It contributes to retired clergy housing, to university chaplains, for curates across the diocese. It also contributes to the cost of training for those working towards authorised ministry of some sort. Of course, we're benefiting from that uh, with Di as she trains uh, for lay reader ministry and Olivia as she trains for ordination in the Church of England. And it subsidises, parish share also subsidises, parishes in poor areas who struggle to pay parish share. 
and we have a large proportion of those parishes in this diocese. We are currently carrying, as, a, as an individual church, we are currently carrying a deficit of payment for unpaid share in previous years. Having said that, during my first three years here, the church wardens and I were able to negotiate some financial support to help us pay our annual share. And between 2016 and 2019, this year, we received 12, 000, uh, sums of 12,000, 11,000 and 5,000 in support on a sliding scale. And while this support has now come to an end in 2019, we are doing our best to pay our parish share in full this year without any support. The good news is that having been willing to meet these demands made on us in the last few years, the diocese has recommended that our deficit is now wiped clean, allowing us to move forward without having any debt hanging over us, which is really good news to share with you. Alongside this, the PCC and I this year agreed an ambitious, or rather what I would call a faith-building budget, in order that we could do some important work on the building, or rather urgent work on the building. Each, every five years, a church building undergoes what we call a quinquennial inspection, where an, uh, a surveyor comes round uh, to have a look at the building and recommends various bits of work that are going to require attention. And uh, all the work that we kind of planned uh, for this year uh, and some into next year as well uh, is stuff that needs to be done before our next inspection, which is probably a couple of years away. But a lot of this work goes unnoticed, so you won't necessarily see it, so I'm going to tell you what it was. So we've had uh, this year or earlier on this year or later last year an electrical survey done in the church. Uh, we've had all of our lights fixed, although there is one just, uh, just gone out recently. Uh, but all the lights are fixed. The organ is working, and which we benefit from week in and week out. And we've had lots of windows around the place which were uh, warping. We've had those fixed. Even just to keep these things going, to keep our building safe, and to keep the elements out, has cost us a little over £11,000. But knowing that we were setting this year an, an ambitious budget, we worked hard on some fundraising activities this year. So lots of us were involved in the Open Garden Festival that we had here in the village. And thank you again to all those who contributed to that. We provided tea at the Golgate Children's Treat. We've had various sponsored events, coffee mornings. Uh, people have foregone birthday gifts in order to contribute uh, to the funds here at church. All of these, as well as generating a significant amount of money, have also been great ways for us to get involved in our community. And, of course, that remains a priority alongside the needs of our building. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that we're all called to go and make disciples first and foremost. But also we need somewhere to meet and worship God Sunday by Sunday. There's also been hard work put into raising funds from other sources. And so Peter Harrison, our treasurer, submitted a VAT reclaim for the work on the windows and the grant application to the All Churches Trust, both of which were successful and have helped enormously to the costs outlined above. And our own David Ford works hard to reclaim each year our gift aid, which this year, uh, that's a tax that we reclaim on donations given. This year was uh, just over £5,500. Of course, the best way to give to church is to, give, to commit to give regularly, either by our envelope scheme or, as many do now, by direct debit from the bank. Giving in a planned way enables the PCC 
to budget more accurately and to identify any shortfalls to be able to plan and to meet them. This year, in response to our stewardship campaign at the end of last year, our regular giving increased by about 25%, which was a huge uh, gesture on the behalf of the congregation and was great for us as we went into a new year knowing that we had some challenges ahead. Alongside this sermon, which uh, I'll uh, preach this morning but also will appear on our website, uh, hopefully, I'll also be writing to those who consider themselves part of the church here at St. John's, spelling out lots of the things that I've highlighted here today with an invitation to review their giving to the church, as this is something that's healthy and right to do on an annual basis. And that, I think, is my invitation to each of us this morning, to review our giving to church. There's no specific amount that I have in mind that I often do when I talk about stewardship. But I think it's always a healthy thing to do, to look at our finances, to lay them out before God prayerfully and ask him whether what we're giving is appropriate to what we receive in income. And I realise that not all of us are in a position to be able to give or to give more. And of course, stewardship is not just about our finances. It's about all that God has given to us. And there are lots of opportunities in the life of our church to get involved and to use those gifts that God has given to us. One of the things I would urge you to do if you've not yet done is to complete a gift aid form. Because if you're a UK taxpayer, we can claim an extra 25% on any donations you make. I've already said that our gift aid amounts to about £5,500 a year. That's a significant amount of our annual income. So if you've not yet filled in a gift aid form, uh, I've printed some out at the back, along with some bank order forms as well, if you want to set up a regular giving to St. John's Church. It's always worth reminding uh, ourselves that all of our money and all of our gifts, apart from the gift aid and the donations which we get uh, from other sources when we apply for money, comes from individual giving in the congregation. Uh, and that's what we are constantly dependent on. We don't receive any money from the state, as some people believe. All the money from church comes from individual giving. But this morning, we've been reminded in our parable that we have a generous, loving God. A God who's always willing to forgive. A God who's always willing to pour out his generosity on his children. So as we strive to grow more like him day by day, I pray that he would help us to hold all that he gives to us lightly and increasingly learn to trust him with all of our lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you are the central character of it. The loving, generous, heavenly Father pray that you'd help each one of us to acknowledge that all we have comes from the, your generous heart. You would give us hearts that are willing to hold what you give to us lightly. And that we would be able to reflect your generosity in the way that we use our time and our talents. As we grow to be more like you, our saviour. We offer all of our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour.